allowing this extra time before clamping the cord can increase the blood volume in your baby by up to one third, crazy. And this provides your baby with iron reserves for their first six to eight months of life. It improves developmental outcomes in their futures. It increases their hemoglobin and hematocrit levels at birth, and it increases their brain myelination. And what's more, in preterm babies, the benefits of delayed cord clamping are even greater. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the tools, knowledge, and confidence you need to erase the unknowns, feel in control, and have an even better birth no matter how you deliver. My name is Liesl Teen, mom of two, practicing labor and delivery nurse, and your host. From over eight years and counting of working at the bedside, I know that knowledge is the key to an even better birth. So tune in each week to learn about all things pregnancy, birth, and postpartum from me, a labor and delivery nurse that's seen it all. And now let's get into this week's episode. When it comes to making decisions surrounding your birth, it's important to think about the immediate after birth too. Often we think that's just for newborn care procedures, but today I thought we could talk in depth about cord blood banking, placenta donation, and placenta encapsulation. In today's podcast episode, you'll learn all about the pros and cons of cord blood banking and why the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends against it, what placenta encapsulation is and the potential benefits and drawbacks, how to go about donating your placenta and the benefits of placenta donation for medical use. As always, the purpose of this podcast episode is to inform you so that you can make the right decisions for your birth and family. And I encourage you to take this information, do your own research, and discuss this decision with your OBGYN or midwife before giving birth. Ready to dive in? I am. (laughs) Let's do it. Cordwell banking is a buzzword we are hearing more and more often surrounding birth, and I think it's really important to talk about. So the blood found in your baby's umbilical cord is full of stem cells that could possibly be used to cure your baby or family member of a disease one day. However, the vast majority of babies won't end up ever needing their cord blood and current technology greatly limits how useful it actually is. Choosing to bank your baby's cord blood may come at an initial cost to baby's well-being as they adjust to life outside the womb with a significantly lower blood volume than they would have without blanking blood as well. Often the decision to bank your baby's cord blood isn't made with a complete understanding of how it's done, how useful or how not useful it really is, and what the cons really are to banking the blood instead of doing delayed cord clamping. So first, let's talk about what cord blood banking actually is. So cord blood is the blood found in the umbilical cord and the placenta at birth. This blood is rich in stem cells, which can be used to treat some diseases in transplants or to strengthen the immune system. The stem cells present in cord blood are unique too because they are rarely rejected during transplants and they present more possibilities for matches. There are 10 times more stem cells present than 
pan in bone marrow, and they can be frozen for an indefinite amount of time before being used. Cord blood banking is the act of collecting this blood from the umbilical cord directly after the cord is clamped. Your provider will insert a needle into the cord. It, you know, it's no nerve endings or anything, so it doesn't hurt. And they collect any remaining blood into a little bag that will be sent to a storage facility. So when it comes to storing cord blood, there is a public cord blood banking option, or there is a private option. So public cord blood banks are free to donate to, okay, no cost. Upon receiving the cord blood, the public bank will run tests on the blood and catalog it into a registry that doctors can access for use in patients in need. Public cord blood banks contribute to furthering research on the potential benefits of cord blood and their use can provide life-saving cells to people in need across the country. So it's definitely a good thing. So if you want to donate to a public cord blood bank, your blood will need to be pre-screened to ensure it is free of genetic disorders and infectious diseases. You also need to give birth at a certified cord blood collection site, which many hospitals already are, but it's always worth checking. And the blood to be donated also must be at least 40 mLs, which like I said, means that delayed cord clamping is likely not an option because delayed clamping won't allow enough blood to stay in the cord. Though obviously discuss this with your provider as well. This is just my experience. Are you in search of the perfect pump for your breastfeeding days? Proven to provide more milk in less time, the Motif Luna is a powerful breast pump that's built for modern motherhood and covered by insurance. With a battery-powered or non-battery version, the Luna is perfect for today's busy mom. The Motif Luna breast pump is lightweight and sleek, quiet and customizable so you can quickly find what works best for you and your baby. The Luna also features a backlit LCD screen, built-in nightlight, closed system, quiet motor, and auto shutoff. And the battery-powered model gives you even more freedom and flexibility with a rechargeable battery that lasts over two hours. But beyond the features and ease of use, the Luna works. In a third-party study, five out of six moms reported more milk and less time than the leading pump brands. As a pumping mama, I personally used and loved my Luna pump. The expression mode works to express milk as efficiently as possible, while the massage mode would stimulate my letdown by mimicking my baby's natural nursing pattern. Sophisticated, strong, and soothing, covered by insurance, get ready to make your pumping days easier with the Motif Luna. To learn more about the Luna and order one for your breastfeeding and pumping journey, head on over to motifmedical.com. And as a special offer for all MLN podcast listeners, you can get 15% off site-wide, including the Luna plus all supplies and accessories with the code MLN23. Some exclusions may apply. That's code MLN23 for 15% off site-wide at motifmedical.com. The other storage option is a private family bank. And in this scenario, your baby's cord blood will be stored for baby's use or for direct family donation. Private storage banks charge a fee for collection. Typically there is either a monthly storage or a yearly storage fee. 
Private storage banks market their services as biological insurance for your child and family. But I want to be transparent in telling you that this claim is rejected by the American Family of Pediatrics and the organization strongly cautions parents against their use. And I think as I keep talking about this, you'll understand a little bit more why. So let's talk about the benefits first, and then we'll talk about the drawbacks. So benefit to banking your cord blood if it is a public bank, okay? Your baby's cord blood will be cataloged into a registry available to all doctors looking for stem cells, okay, to save patients' lives, so very, very needed. And the stem cells in your baby's cord blood might be used to advance medical research or in life-saving clinical trials, it's completely free, and it's also contributing to the advancement of science, of this field of research, right? For those interested in cord blood banking, this is the method most often recommended also by the AAP and ACOG. Now let's talk about benefits of privately storing your cord blood, because there are some benefits to that as well. So obviously, it's just stored for your baby and your family's use. If you have a sick family member that needs or may one day need a stem cell transplant, you may be making a life-saving choice by storing cord blood privately. And also there really is an ever-changing and evolving understanding of how stem cells and cord blood can be used in the future. It may benefit your baby, you know, that we don't know that it's not currently known now. And then also private cord blood banking is only recommended by ACOG and the AAP if you do have a family member with a known disease that will benefit. Otherwise, like I said, it's not recommended. And the AAP has said this, that the idea of like quote unquote biological insurance is rejected and seen just as a marketing tactic. All right. So now let's talk about the drawbacks to doing cord blood banking. So like I said, you can't do that delayed cord clamping that we know is so, so beneficial for baby. Sometimes if you're donating to a private bank, you can do delayed cord clamping, but the amount of blood collected in that case will be limited, you know, in its potential benefits, especially considering the storage cost, right? And speaking of cost, that's definitely another drawback. Private cord blood banking obviously is very costly. So this varies from facility to facility, but fees average around $2,000 for initial processing and then usually have an annual fee between $100 to $300. And I've said this, I think now the third time, that private cord blood storage is not recommended by the AAP unless medically necessary. And cord blood can only be stored for 20 years. So for this reason, it really makes sense to contribute to a public bank. Blood stored in a private bank will only give your child that biological insurance that we talked about for 20 years. And guess what? The last drawback, most privately banked cord blood is never used. According to the Cord Blood Association, the chances of your baby ever needing their own cord blood is very low. And WebMD actually cites a study that says the likelihood is between 1 in 400 and 1 in 200,000. Oh my God. One reason for this is that in the event of blood cancer like leukemia, a baby's own cord blood cells cannot be used to fight the disease. And the likelihood of a family member using your child's stored core blood is also very low because the amount of stem cells in a single 
poor blood collection, it's usually not enough to support a transplant in most adult patients. So unfortunately, most of the time it's not even used. All right, the sound of that heartbeat means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. This one says, I just want to say thank you for your course. We did the natural course but ended up with a C-section due to high blood pressure on my end. I felt prepared and understood what the doctors were doing during induction and epidural as well as the surgery. Not what we planned for, but both me and baby are healthy. Oh, yay, awesome. I'm so glad that you felt prepared and calm during that experience, even though it wasn't exactly the way that you intended it to go. If you want to have an even better birth, just like this mama, head over to mommylabornurse.com slash courses to learn more about our three online on-demand birth classes. So I mentioned delayed cord clamping a few times, and if you've listened to previous podcast episodes, you probably know what delayed cord clamping is, but let's just go over it again, just in case you haven't, this is your first time listening. So with delayed cord clamping, instead of clamping and cutting that cord right away, you can choose to wait for the cord to be clamped and cut, okay? Standard practice right now is usually to wait about 60 seconds before clamping the cord, and most hospitals do this for every single baby that is born unless baby needs immediate medical attention, in which case we would clamp and cut the cord pretty immediately. Some people do choose to wait even longer than that 60 seconds before the cord is cut. Really, what I tell people is at 60 seconds, you're getting most of the benefits, but if you want to leave it on there until the cord really stops pulsing, then you know that's fine. But usually by 60 seconds, you're getting like 99% of the benefits. So what are those benefits? Allowing this extra time before clamping the cord can increase the blood volume in your baby by up to one third, crazy. And this provides your baby with iron reserves for their first six to eight months of life. It improves developmental outcomes in their futures. It increases their hemoglobin and hematocrit levels at birth, and it increases their brain myelination. And what's more, in preterm babies, the benefits of delayed cord clamping are even greater. It improves transitional circulation. There's a better establishment of red blood cell volume. There's a decreased need for blood transfusions, and there's a lower incidence of necrotizing enterocolitis. Yuck. Nobody wants that. And intraventricular hemorrhage. Nobody wants that either. ACOG does note that there is a small increase in the incidence of jaundice in term babies who do delayed cord clamping, but most cases, the risk of getting jaundice in a term baby outweighs the benefits of doing delayed cord clamping. So that's why ACOG says, yay, yes, we recommend delayed cord clamping in all babies. As you can see, there is a lot to consider when it comes to cord blood banking. I personally chose to do just delayed cord clamping and not donate my kids, you know, both my kids cord blood, but I recognize that every family situation is unique. And again, you know, I encourage you to discuss this more in depth with your provider to help you make an informed decision. Wondering if you need to make a birth plan? Not sure what a birth plan even is? Here's the deal. As a labor and delivery nurse, I've seen a lot of different birth plans. Some I love and some, well, not so much. <laughs> One thing that's certain though, I do recommend creating a birth plan before giving birth because overall I see birth plans as an empowering tool that gets mamas researching and thinking more about birth before it happens. But that can only happen if it's done right. 
That's why my team of labor and delivery nurses and I created a comprehensive yet simple birth plan template that has been used by thousands and thousands of women across the country. Grab your free birth plan template at mommylabornurse.com slash birth plan. That's mommylabornurse.com slash birth plan to grab your free birth plan template today. All right, so let's talk about placenta donation and encapsulation really quick. Believe it or not, for centuries and across many different cultures, women have been consuming their placentas to benefit themselves postpartum. However, in today's day and age, it's very controversial because you know, it doesn't come without risk. It's important to note that 70 to 80% of moms who choose to consume their placentas choose encapsulation. So we're going to be talking about that mostly. However, it can be eaten raw. I would not recommend that. Um, You can cook it or you can, you know, dehydrate it or you can even roast it. No, thank you. But hey, if you want to do that, do you girl, it's fine. But there is some risk. (laughs) So let's talk about placenta encapsulation. This involves steaming the placenta, drying it out, and then they actually grind it up into like a powder and then they place it in little capsules that you can take. And typically this is done by a professional service. Benefits include increase in milk production, restoration of blood iron levels, increased release of oxytocin, which can help the uterus return to normal size and encourages bonding with baby, possible decrease in postpartum depression, and an increase in CHR, corticotropin releasing hormone. I don't know if I said that right, but it's basically a stress reducing hormone, which is good. But there are some risks. Improperly encapsulating placentas can harbor bacteria, yuck, that can make you sick and make baby sick if you are breastfeeding. Another risk is an exposure to environmental toxins like heavy metals that have accumulated in your placenta during pregnancy. And this is because the placenta acts as a filter for baby while they're in the uterus. So it can kind of have some stuff in there that's not so good. Another risk is lower milk supplies. Some people they've seen that it increases their milk supply. Some people they've seen that it lowers their milk supply. The placenta does contain progesterone, which inhibits the production of prolactin. Also consuming your placenta increases your risk of developing blood clots. The placenta contains estrogen, which increases, you know, your levels of clotting factors in your blood. So that's also just an FYI. A lot of people don't know that. And also it can cause jitteriness and dizziness. I do want to note that the pros and cons that I just talked about are largely based on anecdotal evidence, okay? There's not a whole lot of evidence-based, scientific-backed information on placenta encapsulation and placenta consumption. There have been a few studies done on the risks and benefits, you know, of placenta encapsulation. And one randomized double-blind placebo-controlled study found that taking placenta capsules had no impact on a woman's iron levels, and there have been no scientific evidence to show that it helped prevent or treat postpartum depression. But again, there's anecdotal evidence, and then there's, you know, scientifically-backed evidence. Sometimes you really do want to listen to that anecdotal evidence. I'm just putting it out there. If you do choose to have your placenta encapsulated, this is my advice. Please, please, please make sure that the placenta is handled safely, okay? It should be packed in ice right after delivery, be stored correctly, and cooked 
thoroughly before consuming. There are no laws, at least here in the US, I don't know about other countries, but there are no laws governing the practice of placenta encapsulation. So it's really, really important for you if you wanna do this to do adequate research and choose a company that you trust will handle your placenta safely. Let's talk about donating also your placenta and or your umbilical cord. So in my experience, placenta donation, AKA birth tissue donation is talked about a bit less than some of the other topics, right? That I've talked about. It is the act of donating your placenta or your umbilical cord for research or medical use. Did you even know you could do that? Yeah. Placenta donation is usually something that you'll be asked about once admitted to the hospital. If you know, they do that at your hospital. And you will need to give consent, you will need to complete a medical history form, and you also have your blood screened for any diseases that could be passed to a receiving patient through your birth tissue. Routinely, your placenta is just discarded after birth unless you opt to take it home, obviously, for another use. So if you choose to donate your placenta, it really doesn't impact your birth in any way. We just either dump it in the trash or we dump it in, in this little bucket and we put a label on it and send it down to the lab. It also isn't taken, you know, until after baby's born. It doesn't affect delayed cord clamping. It really doesn't affect uh, cord blood banking, anything at all. There are definitely some benefits too. So it can heal traumatic wounds, aid in skin grafting for severe burn victims and assist in the treatment of diabetic ulcers. And guess what? Doctors and researchers are finding more and more benefits and uses for birth tissue too. This includes helping patients with eye injuries and diseases, spinal and dental procedures, and sports injuries as well. Who knew birth tissue could provide so many great things for other people? All right, that is the end of this episode. So what are your thoughts on cord blood banking? Now that you understand the potential pros and cons of the options discussed, today on the mommy labor nurse podcast you i hope can make more informed choices on your birth plan and discuss these decisions with your provider if you choose so i will see you guys next week already feeling a little more confident about pregnancy birth and newborn life don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can continue to erase the unknowns and never miss an episode and if you're looking for even more, Instagram is definitely where I hang out the most. Come join our community of more than a half a million moms for birth education, tips, and solidarity. You can find me at mommy.labornurse. Check out today's show notes and a searchable library of every Mommy Labor Nurse podcast episode at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. And while you're there, be sure to head to the blog to learn about our online birth classes too. See you next week. And remember, you can have an even better birth, no matter how you deliver. Ever tried reading while jogging, cooking, or even juggling flaming torches? Yeah, doesn't end well. But with audiobooks.com, you can conquer books without the circus act. Dive into over 450,000 titles, including more than 10,000 free ones. Get hooked on a bestseller, find your next obsession, or finally read that classic you've been avoiding since high school. And here's the inside scoop. Sign up today for a free 30-day trial and snag your first three audiobooks on the house. Sign up for your free trial at audiobooks.com slash podcast free today.
That's audiobooks.com slash podcast F-R-E-E.